With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Celtic State of Mind. It is Tuesday afternoon. It's 12.30. I'm Natasha Mikkel and I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Denning and Paul John Dykes. We are mixing it up a bit this Tuesday due to various other commitments of our normal Tuesday club members. But Brian, Paul, John, how are you both? Nice to be joined by you guys on this Tuesday. It is. It's a good lineup. I mean, sometimes uh, Ange does that to us, doesn't he? He just throws in a wee uh, surprise lineup. So that's what we're doing on a Tuesday, I think, Natasha. Well, that's it. It's a bit yeah, of isn't it? It's a bit of scordutation just to, to freshen up the squad in the season running. So Right. So who am I? James McCarthy. <laughs> you're, you're James McCarthy. The forgotten man. Absolutely McCarthy. no comments about um, who is who is who and who's the Jota and who's the Abada and who's the Maeda. But it's great to have everyone here anyway. And we've got plenty to talk about today. We will be reviewing um, the weekend's game. We'll be talking about that Motherwell performance what went wrong, what might have went well, taking some of the positives from it as well as looking ahead to the weekend's cup tie. And in the last hour or so, we've also had confirmation of the post-split fixtures. For anyone who hasn't seen those yet, we start the the post-split with a potential title clincher at Tynecastle on Sunday, um, May the 7th. We follow that up with a trip to Ibrox on the 13th of May, home to St Mirren on the 20th of May, away to Hibs on the 24th of May and finishing off um, with Aberdeen at home on the 27th of May. So, Brian, I'll come to you first. We know that if we beat Hearts on the 17th, on the 7th of May, we win the league. Easy as that. <laughs> Exciting prospect, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. If only it was that easy. But I think, <laughs> yeah, as as long term viewers know, I'm a bit of a romantic, and I sort of, I think there's sometimes football tells brilliant stories, and just think Ange's first game was at Tynecastle and lost, and then he could win the two in a row at Tynecastle. There's some, there's a really nice symmetry and sort of cyclical nature to that. So I'm looking forward to it, and then it means our, our comrades uh, across the second he's he's a wee guard of honour. We visit the end of the week after, so that'd be nice. I'm sure they'll they'll um, draw on that. They wouldn't be petty enough to not do it, I would imagine. So, but look, I think going to ten cash was always hard. Um, but again, if you're going to if you can't win the league at Ibrox, it's nice doing it there. So I kind of just kind of wait to see it. Yeah, the only the only frustration for me about it um, being at Tynecastle and Andrew comes in in the YouTube comments to say something similar is that so many fans will be locked out of it. You know, as Andrew says, TV giving priority over fans again. Only a small number will now get the chance to see Celtic win the league in person with the small allocations we get. Andrew's watching on YouTube. Totally agree with you. And if you are watching on YouTube, please do get involved in the chat and remember to subscribe to the channel. But coming back to Andrew's point, it's it's one I agree with. It is frustrating that, you know, we're potentially getting less than a 1,000 tickets for Tyne Castle at the moment. So such a small percentage of our fans are going to see what is potentially a title clinching game and if you're not at Tyne Castle for that game you, the next league game you're going to get to see is on the 20th of May because as we know we don't get tickets for, for Ibrox so that's a long gap without seeing Celtic play in the league and I do understand it for teams like Hearts who are choosing to sell their tickets to their own fans so make the Celtic allocation smaller um, it's frustrating when you see empty stadiums um, and they choose not to increase the Celtic allocation. But Hearts are, with credit to them, a team who does tend to sell out their own allocation. So our allocation is smaller. But Paul John, it's, it's frustrating that so many are going to end up missing this game, isn't it? It's massively frustrating. And it's, you know, it's something that we've been speaking about all season. And um, every time Celtic bring it up or we bring it up as fans, we get called entitled, spoil, all this kind of rhetoric. And, um, you know, Scottish football is one of the best supported leagues in European football, yet it is ran amateurishly. It really is. And, you know, we, we've probably brought the point up for different reasons throughout the season where we've not been able to get tickets. There's been Celtic fans standing outside stadiums, you know, trying to get tickets. Natasha, you'll have seen them. You, you go to uh, the away games. And, you know, the way that it's been managed, the way that their own business has been managed is amateurish. And then when it comes to the business end of the season, um, you know, we could talk all day about the fixtures and and how we've got three away games against two home games and all the rest of it. But the bottom line is, you know, we're going to win the league and virtually no fans will see it, you know, in the flesh. And that, for me, people will say it's a luck of the draw, it could have happened anyway, etc., etc. But at the same time, we used to have a really good compliment to Celtic fans at away grounds and it's been minimised and it's been squeezed and it's been squeezed all season. This is a different uh, type of dynamic to add into the mix. But yeah, it does frustrate me, Natasha, when we've got, for me, we actually do have a really, really good product that so many people buy into in this country. And every single time, be it official dumb or broadcasting deals or fixtures or even the split, 
you know, that's another discussion. Do you think the split is a good thing? Does it work? Should we do away with it? Um, all these different discussions, and I just think it constantly shines a light. Even the fact that fixtures were late, Natasha, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Fixtures were ready to be announced yesterday, but they were late. That's just Scottish football over the back. Uh, so pretty disappointing. But in saying all of that, I want to win it at Tynecastle. I don't want to delay it. I'm reading about guard the honours and everything at Ibrox. Win it as soon as you can win it. That's right. I absolutely agree with that. I want to get it wrapped up, and I'm sure Andrew and the players absolutely want to get it wrapped up as well. Um, because after that, Brian, we do have the prospect of heading to Ibrox as champions. And if we don't win at Tynecastle, um, then we go to Ibrox with the prospect of becoming champions, which are both exciting prospects in themselves. Um, it, you, you do just want to get it wrapped up as, as soon as you can, don't you? I know there is certainly discussions taking place on social media about the prospect of winning at Ibrox, but I'm sure you're with me. Let's let's get it wrapped up at, at Tynecastle and go to Ibrox as champions. Yeah, I, I would much rather that. I always think it's, um, you know, it, it's just good to, to get the job done, get it over the line, and then and start to move on about your business. Um, I don't get the impression it's going to go into Angie's thinking in any way. I don't think that's going to matter too much. Um, and I think, you know, going to Ibrox as champions with that extra bit of swagger and hopefully after winning the semi-final as well, it would be uh, quite a nice occasion regardless. So I'm not too concerned. And it's interesting you talk about the fixtures in the organisation. Paul and I have been ranting for a few weeks about the, the lack of joined up thinking between the SFA and the, the SPFL and everybody else. And it's always interesting to me that, you know, it's a random draw. But Police Scotland can go and say, look, we don't want it to be the first game to be at Ibrox in case it causes trouble. So by its nature, it's not that random. And I just think two two away games is your first two fixtures. It, it's a bit poor. I think it's a, it's a common sense approach could have changed that very easily. And you could have still avoided you know, going to Ibrox early if that was the, the case. Um, so I think it was, I don't know, it, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth, to be honest. But again... We, we face this sort of stuff all the time and we don't complain about it. We just keep on, we keep on winning. We keep on racking up the trophies and Andrew will take it the, uh, take it his stride. Absolutely. Um, we are very much looking forward to getting this one over the line. It does feel like it has been coming for a while now. But Paul John, you were talking about marketing the game and the product that we have. And Scottish football, we all love it. Of course we do. But it's such a unique and special product and we could do so much better when it comes to promoting that and marketing it. And one of the things we've talked about is, you know, having Celtic potentially clinch the title without with hardly any fans there. But the other thing that surprised me when we're taking, you know, our, our Celtic view of this for, for a minute is the games that Sky have chosen, mm-hmm. you know, and I can understand why particularly a lot of the bottom six teams especially the ones who are still going to have a lot to play for, are frustrated that they're not going to be able to see these games on TV. They're not being published. They're not being publicised when Celtic and Rangers games are going to be effectively meaningless come the end of the season, are going to be the ones that Sky choose instead of these games where there's teams at the bottom with a lot to play for. Yeah, you, you just you can imagine Natasha the the meeting you know um, at Sky Sports headquarters where they're trying to figure out what fixtures have we got. Well, try and get as many Celtic and Rangers fixtures as possible. And you look at the bottom of that table, like you say, it's like the top of the championship. Loads to play for. There's loads of clubs involved in that that uh, relegation zone. Uh, Ross County, Dundee United, Kilmarnock. I mean, St Johnston aren't safe yet. 
Um, and there's loads. Every single point's going to be a prisoner. There's going to be some really um, tension-filled, dramatic games at the bottom of the table. And that also feeds that narrative that, you know, uh, the clubs that have got decent fan bases like Dundee United and they speak about, oh, it's all about Celtic and Rangers, isn't it? And, uh, well, the answer is, yeah, it is, because that's the kind of decisions that are made. Um, and there's going to be some really interesting fixtures at the bottom of the table, Natasha. We're going to we're going to miss them. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it is a, a big bugbear of mine uh, because it comes into discussion and Brian and I talk about aspirations of other teams and all this kind of thing. Um, I, I guess the other the other discussion point will be Right, okay, they don't want Celtic to win the, the league at Ibrox. Right, I understand that. But, I mean, just look at what that atmosphere is going to be like at Ibrox. Mm. Um, you know, if we go there as champions, Natasha, and we've spoken about this, um, the, the very reason that we're not there as fans is because the club don't think it's safe. And then um, the players haven't been safe because there's broken bottles in the goal mouth. Uh, the staff haven't been safe because one of them has been hit with a bottle, um, which resulted in jail time. Fran Alonso, so the management aren't safe because he's been um, attacked by a member of staff uh, coming out of Ibrox. And the last time they won the league, even the public aren't safe because they rioted in, <laughs> in Glasgow. So you think to yourself, what is that atmosphere going to be like at Ibrox? That's a big concern for me. Massive. It's a concern for me too. Um, and it's probably a concern that Celtic are taking very seriously behind the scenes and making sure the appropriate security measures are in place. But you do begin to understand the club's position more and more if you're all those things that you're talking about that have taken place and have the potential to take place again. Imagine adding six or seven hundred fans into that mix, into a small corner where they've not been proven to be safe before. So you can understand why the club have said if you can't guarantee the safety of the fans, then then we're not taking the, the tickets. And that decision probably starts to to become more and more understandable with the prospect of of that game coming up, Brian, where Celtic do have the prospect of going to Rangers as champions with Rangers, depending on what happens in the Cup semi-final with their season essentially over. Yeah, and look, it's just a damning indictment that of, of Scottish football in general, and particularly that club, that fans can't feel safe going to a game. I mean, that, that's the headline, right? It, almost the tick allocation and stuff. That's kind of secondary when... when there's such concerns over fan safety and safety of players and safety of staff. Yeah, you understand why they took those precautions, but there's got to be more to be done to either punish that behaviour and prevent it from happening in the first place. Like, we, you know, we smart about the, the Fran Alonso thing, but that was a disgrace, the fact that that guy, was that a six-game ban, kept mm-hmm. his job? Mm-hmm. I mean, absolute disgrace. If I went up and stick the loaf in somebody next door, I'm not, I'm not getting a six-game ban for the house, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's terrible and it shouldn't be happening and it's a, as I say it's a damning indictment uh, mm-hmm. you know if they, they, they celebrate there's trouble if they win there's trouble if they lose there's trouble if they're protesting there's trouble mm-hmm. there's, a common, there's a common denominator here and it's no everybody else so I, I just think that you know when you're, you're talking about these tech allocations and safety and stuff it's just I, I think sometimes when you're in the, the bubble you don't realise how ridiculous it actually sounds but it's, it's astonishing to me. It really is. It is. You'd, you'd still take a ticket though, Natasha, if you got one, wouldn't you? <laughs> of course <laughs> you I would. Too. Of course I would. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Natasha's a hard case though. She'd be the one giving out the headbutts, I think. <laughs> I think she'd be pretty safe. 
Oh, Brian, you know me better than that. Um, but before before we look too far ahead um, and look at towards that Tyne Castle fixture, I do want to chat a bit about the game at the weekend because it's still fresh. It's only Tuesday. We've not had a chance to catch up on it yet. And we will need to perform a lot better at Tyne Castle than we did against Motherwell because we're talking about this title clincher at Tyne Castle, which is very exciting, but we need to win it. Um, mm-hmm. And our performances of late have been a little bit concerning you know that that game against Motherwell wasn't good the second half against Kilmarnock wasn't good um and without being entitled and thinking we should we should win every game or anything like that the level set by Ange and the team means that these performances and that that result against Motherwell is disappointing um we we can't be too disappointed at ending the weekend another point clear in pursuit of the title but I think for me it was more about the the performance um than and you know that really concerned me slightly. I want to have a bit of a chat with you guys today about what what went wrong, what we can learn from it. It is important to remain level headed. It's natural mm-hmm. these performances happen, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating, does it, Paul? And you know, what what do you put your, your finger on as wasn't quite there? against mother judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, the weekend. Um, I think Colin and I had a good chat about it yesterday once the dust had settled a wee bit because you've got mm. that frustration on Saturday asking yourself, why is this not working? And um, in the first half, it probably took Callum McGregor to do what he's done quite a few times and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, it was a speculative effort, but I think it was his second of the game. He got a wee uh, deflection and uh, he opens the score. And you think to yourself, right, we've broken the deadlock. We're going to win two or three nothing here. Um, and it didn't happen. So I'm looking at two different things. The first thing is I think we should already have enough in terms of the squad depth to to deal with Motherwell at home, even with the big players missing. But we did have some real game-changing players missing. And the sooner they're back, the better. Jota, Abada and Hatati. Um, But again, I just don't think we were as clinical as we have been. And... A couple of the chances that I think were guilt-edged, um, Maeda, the through ball from Haksabanovic, I thought I thought he was really poor at uh, Haksabanovic, but there was one passage of play where he did really, really well to win the ball back. He had lost possession. He wins the ball back, dinks it over, Maeda's got to score that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vata cross for O, O's got to score that. And of course, Kyogo with a wee dink over the goalie. You're thinking, just put that away and the game's put to bed. Um, Starfelt, I wouldn't give him a hard time. He should get that on target, but it, it's not really a, a out-and-out chance like the other three. So we weren't clinical enough. Um, and then when the substitutes were made, and by the way, I'm a big advocate of, of giving uh, Rocco Vata game time, and I'm a champion of him, and I thought he got a bit of a hard time. I don't think it was the right sub, because I'm watching that thinking, right, you need a David Turnbull to just strike one from distance, because that's what he does. And he, he came on with three minutes to go. Um, so that isn't a dig at Vata because mm. obviously we, we had conversations about it on the WhatsApp group and I I, I thought he played well um, loads to learn but I thought he did okay um, but I would have thought Turnbull was the change because mm-hmm. you need a, a guy like him 25 yards out he's going to ping one 
he might just get you that win. You win 2-1 and you're probably not focusing on the performance then as much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, something that Colin said on the show yesterday that I agreed with was that we've played worse than that and come away with the win. And I think that I think that is true when you look back on it and the dust has settled a bit. And Brian, for me, even when Motherwell scored, you know, that's a great goal by Van Veen, by the way. I thought he played very, very well. Um, but even when he did score that goal, I still expected us to get it over the line. And it was surprising that we didn't because we so regularly do. And for me, that was a bit of a surprise for me. And I also want to bring up... Um, Rocco Vata because Paul John's touched on it there as well and I completely agree with with what you said that's two weeks in a, a row now that Vata has put the ball on a plate for O and O hasn't scored the chance um, you know he came on and thought he had 15 minutes and with Addy time as well and he had an expected assist rate of, of 0.6 with only 15 minutes on the park you know that was more than some of the guys who played 60 minutes before him and it was different for him as well. You know, we're used to seeing him come on as a sub maybe when the game is won and when we're a little bit more comfortable. But he came on and was expected to be game changing. And he came on against O'Donnell, who had just come on as well. So he wasn't tired. So it wasn't like he was going up against a, a fullback who'd played against a Maeda or a Nabada or a Jota for, for 60 or 70 minutes. He was fresh too. So it was different from giving him some minutes against a tired fullback after the game is gone. You would ask him Rocco Vata to come on and and win a game. Um, and like Paul John said, there was a bit of split opinion in the, the WhatsApp group, Brian. Some people were saying his performance was a highlight. Others are saying he's not cutting it. But for me, it was just probably slightly too big an expectation on him. I think we need to have a bit of patience with a player like Vata. He stepped up from the Lowland League to, to this. That That's a massive, massive step. And I think he probably needs more game time at this level. He's going up against this experienced Scottish international rather than a lowland league player. And I think he did okay. You know, like I say, he put that he put that one on a plate for O. O should have scored. Um again. You're looking for a winger to come on, put good balls into the box for your strikers and and he did that. And I thought I thought he was a positive Brian. Yeah I, I sort of broadly agree with most of it. The only thing I slightly disagree on is that I think you know, if you're bringing him, if he's in the squad and he's ready to play and Andrew's got faith, then I think, yeah, absolutely bring him on and, and try and get him to win the game. I, I don't have any problem with a, well, there you go, Kev Green agrees. Mm -hmm. I think if you're wearing that jersey and you're you're ready to play, I don't think it should matter if you're, you're younger though. I think, and really you look at it, he the two best crosses of the game when he sort of drink past the players and bounced it over for Starfell and then the, the pitch perfect one for O. So another day he's coming on 15 minutes and then a 17-turned 18-year-old has saved the day. So I, I think Vata, for me, I think the criticism of him, I, I can't understand. Um, he, when he came on for his came with the other day, I think against Kilmarnock, he had the best cross of the game by a distance. And So so for me, in terms of Vata, I, I think he absolutely earned his place in the squad. And if you're going to give players pass parts, I think he was probably one of the only ones that came out with pass parts. Mm. That'd be him, McGregor. Um, I think Iwata didn't have much to do. He he's not that type of player that's going to pick open a, a defence, maybe they'd be Tumblewood. Um, in terms of what went wrong, I think it was a perfect storm of things because Motherwell obviously figured that what we do is we get the ball with the 18-yard box and put it straight across goal and Kyogo bangs it in. That's pretty much what we do. So they were very, very good at, at blocking that at the front post. 
So they, they defended that very well, to be fair to them. Where the criticism comes from me is that we kept trying it and kept trying it and kept trying it. We, we certainly never had a, a, another idea, which usually we do. Usually we can... It reminded me of the the games last season against Livingston, when it looks like we're banging our heads against the wall and doing the same mm. thing, which wasn't working. It was a bit like that against Motherwell. Um, and then the other crosses we're putting in were, were just getting absolutely skied. Alistair Johnson's going for loads of praise, but I thought his crossing was, mm. was really poor. I thought Moy was poor again. So there was a number of players off it. Um, the question would be then, are we concerned about it? And I don't think so, because the last time a lot of the team played badly was when we beat Ossett Mirren. And then after that, they picked up a few head of steam. We've not had too many performances like that on in a row. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned the game at the command look second half and it wasn't great, but by that time we were, we were four nil up, should yeah. be five or six. So it's a different, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we analysing it. So I have full confidence for the semi-final and full confidence for the, the games after the split. I think it was a wee bit of a blip. And it's almost better having all your players playing badly in one game and it goes wrong. Because then you know it's a, a freak. It's not, you know, a, a problem that's recurring. I think, um, I think we'll, we'll be fine next week. Even if Hitachi takes your talent back, I still think we're more than enough in the tank. Yeah, I think so. And I think people aren't getting too carried away with the fact that it was a draw and not the best performance in the world. I think everybody is remaining relatively level-headed. It happens. It will happen over the course of the season. And the important thing is how you address that going forward and it maybe does just give the players a little shake that they they need in the lead up to to a semi-final Um, we know what the running looks like now we know there's hard games coming up we've got the biggest game of the season left coming up at at the weekend with that cup semi-final you know this will give players that added incentive to make sure that they're involved in that players who perhaps think that they weren't quite at their best in the second half of Kilmarnock who weren't maybe at their best at home against Motherwell they are going to be putting in the 110% effort at Lennox Town this week to prove that they should keep their place because there's guys waiting in the wing, there's guys ready to come back from injury. Um, and I think that that will help keep the standards high. I think the players themselves, players like McGregor and, and Taylor and Joe Hart, they'll ensure that the standards are high. They're experienced. They know when the team aren't firing in all cylinders, like they're maybe not at the moment. They'll know that and they'll be driving and demanding more. And I think that that'll be a make for a really good week of, of training at Lennox Town ahead of this this game on the weekend, which is going to be absolutely massive, Paul. It is. I'm thinking back to, um, you know, the dressing room, Natasha, you could just imagine the, the type mm-hmm. of players that will always have it, they'll always be on it. And you think you've mentioned three of them, Taylor, Hart, and McGregor will be three of the guys. I think probably Ralston would be one of them, even though he's not on the first team a lot of the time. And uh, all the way through the ages, you think about the, the dressing rooms that Celtic have had, and you've always had that hardcore that they're almost like gaffers on the pitch. Um, you've got McGregor as a captain, but the other guys are leaders. They're not going to let the standards drop. They'll know that that was a bad performance against Motherwell. And I was looking just at last season um, where I think our best performance was the 3-0 game against Rangers in February. And I was looking at the game before that, you know, against Dundee United, where we score a last-minute winner, and it's a badder. And you're mm-hmm. maybe looking at that performance thinking, you know, we really struggled to break this team down, and it was a last-minute goal from a badder. And you're, you're always going into these games a wee bit apprehensive. And we went out and absolutely obliterated Rangers 3 nothing that night. So um, you can read too much sometimes into the performance just before a game. Um, and I think that when we go out there on Sunday, it will be a completely different Celtic that we see. I really do. I hope. 
I hope some of the injury worries are alleviated an hour before kickoff because we do miss the big, big players. And, you know, Jota against Rangers has done so well, as has Abada, as has Atati. They're three big players against Rangers. Um, if two of them, I don't I don't think we'll get all our Christmases at once and get all three of them. If two of them make it, then you're going in with a, a, a real a real boost and loads of confidence, I would say, an hour before kickoff if two of the names are on the team sheet. The other yeah. thing to remember as well is it's the effect it has, sorry, Natasha, it's the effect it has on the opponents because if you've, you know, I spoke this week to Yogo when we likened him to, when we're talking about the debate, obviously the best players, best striker since Larson. And I said, not the best actual player, but in terms of fitting the mould. And what he does is when he's on the park, even if he's not doing much, he always thinks, the opposition always thinks he's going to score. If guys that had Tater on the park are coming off the bench, or you look over and you see Jota warming up after you've hit him up in the Eda for an hour, mm-hmm. psychologically, that the team's in their mind, every team will admit it's going to think, oh, hold on, this is going to be a, a rough 10 minutes. So that galvanising effect isn't just in your own squad, it's the effect on the opposition without even having to do much. Mm-hmm. So I think certainly getting them back would be a, a huge boost, but I, I would hope that there's enough in the tank. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And I'm hoping, like you, that we'll have at least two two of those three that are being talked about back because I think our, our strength and depth is getting tested, Brian. You know, you talk about the players that we have on the bench, the players we have on the pitch. It's getting stretched a little more than we have seen it over the course of the season. Um, and we so often spoke over the course of this season about that strength and depth and how important a part of our season it has been. We've had that bench that's so strong that it walks into the starting 11 of every other team in the league and with the five sub rule the depth and quality of our squads for me has actually been the differential this season but we have noticed it in the last couple of games I think we have noticed that we've missed Hitati we've missed Jota we've missed being able to bring players like Abada on and we're maybe not quite hitting the standards that we're used to to without them so Brian I'll put it I'll put it to you first if if Jota Abada and Hitati are all fit, do they all go back into the start in the lineup for, for the semi-final? I mean, for me, I think I think Jota walks straight back in. He's not been out that long. Um, he's been a very important player for us. He's been excellent against Rangers. I think he does walk straight back into the team. And on balance, I think Hitati probably does too. I know he's been out four or five weeks. It's a, it's a relatively long spell. And I have been really impressed with Awata. I think he brings great composure to the middle of the park. I think he's really good on the ball. But I do think we have missed Hatati. There is the risk in bringing him back and he's not fully ready. I think we've seen that with Aaron Moy a bit over the last couple of games. Um, he's maybe not been quite at the level he was before his injury and he's not been quite up to it. And can we risk that with Hatati? obviously an entirely different player who's been thrown in at the deep end before and, and proven himself. But for me, if Jota is fit and if Hitati is fit, I think they both go back into the squad, into the starting eleven. I think Jota, certainly. Um, I think I'm a big fan of Haksibanovic, but the dynamic with him and Maeda doesn't really work because he cuts in and Maeda cuts in. Mm-hmm. You're losing that traditional winger, whereas Jota gives you that something different. I'm not sure what's been happening with Forrest if he's still injured as well. Um, so I think certainly Jota goes in. Hatati, I wouldn't start just because I think when we're going to play Rangers in the, the semi, I think Iwata's going to be really key at breaking up their press. Because you saw it at, at, um, at Parkhead that the press really high. 
when they pressure you aggressively, and it sort of it made us a lot uh, made us a few mistakes made us make a few mistakes at first. So I think having a water in there just to break that and that real physical presence. I also think you know Callum I guess to answer obvious, but O'Reilly in that midfield is really good at winning the ball back for a forward position as well. So I think I would start with them. And then, if it's not quite that creative spot, then you've got Hatati to come on. And mm-hmm. you kind of, the beauty of Hatati is you, you both know and don't know what he's going to give you, right? Because he can just, he just does things you don't expect. He's sort of that maverick, which is what you need. And I think coming off the bench would be ideal for that. So if you had um, Kalmak, O'Reilly, and Iwata sort of saw the middle of the park, help him mm. break up their press and win the ball back. And then when you need a bit of magic, Hatati coming on. Abada, I'm not sure what's happening with Abada, if it's um, what the nature of the injury is or if it's an attitude thing or it's a Yakimaka situation where they, they think he's probably off or not. But certainly if, if, if he's available, he would come on as well. As a... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hmm. Robert Ingram comes on on YouTube and said, if Hitati's fit, he will start against Rangers a must. Paul John, do you agree with that? If you take an ideal scenario and we've got Hitati, Moy, McGregor, Iwata, O'Reilly, all training well, fully fit, ready to go, who is playing in the middle of that park at the weekend? Well, I was asked that question last week uh, when we were talking to John Hughes, so I'm going to now contradict myself and disagree with Robert, right? Because I said that my my ideal trio in the midfield was McGregor and Hatati and O'Reilly. That that's what I said. But I'm looking at the the three two game, and I think the 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 period of time where we really controlled this game is when we took off Moy and we brought on Awata mm-hmm. and. From that moment, we we controlled the game. We got two goals ahead, and it was uh, Awata, McGregor, and O'Reilly. And then Rangers started getting back into the game when we took off O'Reilly. We changed the shape a wee bit. So I just think that it worked. It worked against them with McGregor, Awata, and O'Reilly. And as much as I love Hatati, um, and normally and ordinarily he would start every week, I just think coming back from injury, the circumstances, like Brian says, have him on the bench as a weapon, um, I want to see Jota starting, and against Rangers, Maeda's got to start. Now, the interesting thing about that is I don't think Maeda's one of our best players. I don't think he's one of our best wingers, but he's got all the attributes for this game against Rangers where he cancels down a threat from their right-hand side. He allows you to play that high uh, tempo, uh, the high press, because of his work rate, never stops. Uh, and he's brilliant defensively for Greg Taylor, who obviously likes to go forward. So he needs to start. 
And then the question is on the right-hand side. Haksabanovic hasn't done enough. For me, he's never a right winger from what I've seen. Um, Jota fit starts on the right and Abada would be brilliant to have again, similar to Hatate on the bench, just in case at that 60 to 65 minute mark, things aren't quite working out. It would be great to have they two because they're game changers. And by the way, I think Haksabanovic is better off the bench at the minute as well. Bring him on for maybe Maeda on the left-hand side at some point. Um, but yeah, fully contradictions, Natasha. I'm going to go with Awata. McGregor and O'Reilly for my, my midfield three. Yep, no, I think I have to probably agree with you on that. Um, I don't think Aaron Moy is playing as well as we're used to him at the moment, so I don't think I put him in to start. Um, and Hatati has probably been out just too long for me. <sighs> it's hard. I'm very on the fence with Hatati. I'd love to see how he's looking in Lennox Town. If I had the, the vision that Ange does of watching him trade train and play it throughout the week in Lennox Town, I would, I would make my mind up a little bit easier. Um, but we don't have that, but thankfully Ange does, um, and we always trust him to to get it right because 9.9 times out of 10, he does. Another player that you brought up there um, that I want to speak about a bit more is Haksabanovic, um, because I was looking back at some of the content that we've put out with Haksabanovic um, over the season, and when he first joined, um, I was at that press conference at Celtic Park to speak to him. And the question that I put to him was about his position and where he preferred playing and where he thought he was most effective. And he said that was as a number 10. Um, and that's mm. where he saw himself playing. And I think I think you're right. He has been a lot better off the bench. And it's something that we just mentioned with Rocco Vata as well, is that it's a very different scenario coming on to play the last 20 or 30 minutes against a tired fullback who's just been running up against some of our the wingers that we have at our disposal for the previous 60 or 70 minutes. From the start, I haven't been overly impressed with Haksabanovic. I don't think he's quite having the impact that he does off the bench as he does when he starts. Um, and maybe that's because, like you just touched on, Paul John, maybe it's because we're not utilising him properly. Maybe it's because we're not playing him in the position to get the best out of him. I think it is that he's undoubtedly talented. We have seen it. Um, and I know, was it November he got the Player of the Month award and he looked really good in the 4-2 game against Dundee United. Um, got a couple of goals that day, I think. And, you know, it's interesting because that, now that you mention it, I remember the question. It was mm-hmm. it was very good to get that out of him, the fact that he's, he thinks he's a number 10. Um, and he definitely looks far more suited to that. You know, he's just not that type of player, Natasha, that can go... Um, toe-to-toe with a full-back, beat him with a trick, beat him with pace and get the ball. And it's not happening for him out, out uh, right. And we miss Jota massively. It actually shines a light on just how important Jota is. Um, so, yeah, number 10, but is there room for him? I think Brian and I have discussed that previously. Is there room for Is that a luxury, I guess, is what I'm asking. Is that a luxury in an Ange Porsicoglu team? Um, John Hughes has also said he's a bit... Uh, concerned that he might slip through the cracks. I hope he doesn't. He's undoubtedly talented, uh, but I think the playing him out of position has made him look bad. But, you know, the, the other option would have been, I guess, to play Rocco Vata. And that's that's a discussion we've already had. Um, and if he's good enough, uh, then he needs to be ready. By the way, on that, I actually felt that um, he was probably a wee bit overwhelmed with the amount of ball that he got. I'm talking about mm-hmm. Vata, Natasha. I think, mm-hmm. you know, he was maybe surprised at how often Moy and, and Johnston just kind of bailed out and gave him the ball, mm-hmm. as if to say, right, go and try and do something. Um, and he was a wee bit overwhelmed. Um, however, yeah, Haksabanovic, I agree, he's a number 10. I don't even think he's a left winger. I think he's a number 10. But do we have the luxury to play him there? I guess that's a big question. 
We we shall see. Um, moving slightly away from the semi-final selection, um, but linking in what we're saying on Rocco Vata, he does have, as we've just talked about over the course of that discussion there, he has a lot of good players in front of him, fully fit. You know, when you're looking at, at the wingers that Celtic have at their disposal, regardless of whether we think they're wingers or not, they're getting played there. And you're looking at Maeda, you're looking at Jota, you're looking at Abada, you're looking at Haksibanovic. It's going to be difficult for Vata to break into that and break through. And while he is young and doesn't have the same sort of level of experience as they do, you know, he isn't that much younger than players like Abada. And it'll be interesting to see for him next season whether his move is to, to stay at Celtic and you know, really try and break into that first team despite all those players ahead of him who who we've already we talked about, or whether it's the right move for him to go out on a loan, perhaps to another team in the league. We know that he can't go back to playing in the B team. He can't go back to playing in the Lowland League. I don't think that would be very beneficial for his development. But I think what could be good is going out on a loan maybe someone else in the league. And we've seen that work out really well before. For example, we've talked about um, Ryan Christie went to Aberdeen, Chris Ayer went to Kilmarnock, and now mm-hmm. we've had Liam Scales um, having a relatively good season up at Aberdeen and scoring some wonderfully, definitely meant goals, Brian. Um, of course he meant it. 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 Great goal. Or maybe he's lucky too. Maybe we can add him to the list of, of people who are who are lucky this season. Um, but just talking about Liam Scales... Brian, you know, he's a left-sided centre-back. We don't really have that, despite Starfelt doing really well in that position. I think he actually looked better on the right-hand side when Carter Vickers was out. But, you know, Liam Scales could be someone who could come back and be a good addition to the squad. And, you know, in the next segment of the show, we are going to have a wee chat about the players we've got out on loan and who could come back and who could do a job for us. Um, but when you look at what, Brian, what Liam Scales has managed to do in up in Aberdeen, and then you look at what Stephen Welsh has done by staying here, I just wonder if for a player like Welsh, he should have been on the same route as, as Liam Scales. And instead of, you know, sitting on our bench or sometimes not even on the bench this season, he could have been away getting game time somewhere. I think Welsh, to be honest, is probably one that's going to end up moving moving on this summer. But Brian, could, could Scales come back in and do a job? No, no, for me. Um, I think I think he's a good player, but if, if you, we're looking at the, the squad before just now, so for me, anybody that comes in either has to have potential to be better than what we have or be better right away. I think Skills is a good player, but I don't think he's got the potential of Burnaby left back. He's certainly no better than Taylor at left back. I don't think he's as good with the ball at his feet or as good in the air as Kobayashi. Even Starfield, who I agree with you, his best position is right hand side, is still better than the left. Um, and I think, you know, the question would be, is he better than, say, Boston Lowell? Mm. Is, is that, that be more of a discussion? And again, I think well, Lowell's got, he's younger, he's got more potential, he's trained more with the first team. I give him a chance before out of skills back. So I know that's a bit of a hatchet job on skills. Um, and if you think that's bad, wait to see my opinions in some of the other lone players later <laughs> on. Um, but, um, but in regards to Bata, like, What's interesting is we spoke about, and I know we'll probably talk about it later, so I won't ramble too long, but just a quick question for you. If we're making the assumption that Jota and Abada aren't back, would you start Vata on the semi, or would you start with Haksabanovic? I would start with Vata. I can explain mm. later why, but I would start with him over Haksabanovic. But I'm just keen your thoughts. 
I think it's a big question to ask. I'm going to put it over to Paul John as well. I don't think I would. I think I would start Haksabanovic only because I think he would be very, very targeted from the first minute. And I don't know if that would be the most beneficial thing to his development as a player is to throw him into that sort of cauldron um, and put the pressure on him that would be on him. I remember, you know, games gone by doing things like sticking Mikey Johnston up front on his own against Rangers and things like that. And you look back on that and think, you know, that wasn't good for anyone, especially not Mikey Johnston. You know, you, the expectation that you put on him to be a lone striker against Rangers at the stage he was in his career at the time and the age he was and the position that he actually naturally played in, to do that to him wasn't actually fair on him as a player, I don't think. Um, and while we would be playing that in his, his more natural position, um, I still wouldn't do that to him at this stage, Paul. No, you know this, uh, it can kill a player. I, I remember um, Lewis Morgan as well. He it, it was one of the worst cup finals ever, uh, to be fair, but he was playing a lone striker's role, which was, it was complete, it was like a fish out of water. Um, Rocco Vat is a natural there, but if Abada and Jota both don't make it, and like Brian says before, we don't really have a, an update on Jamesy Forrest's uh, availability, but it just shows you how things change so quickly. He started um, the game at Ibrox and everybody was thinking, dearie me, I'd love James Forrest to be fit this, this weekend. Um, and then, again, you go against everything that you've already said about Haksavanovic, and, and you end up playing Haksavanovic on the right. Um, I mean, the, the thing as well with Haksavanovic, I, I just don't think there was an understanding between him and Alistair Johnson. You know, we've had situations in the past where, you know, you, you can see the link-up play either through um, Ralston, and the right winger, or Johnson, the right winger, that wasn't there. It was breaking down. Um, and again, not talking about a right back, and I've mentioned this, Matt O'Reilly, even, he plays a, a kind of a ball down the, down the wing, which was, you know, tailor-made for Haksabanovic to run onto, and Haksabanovic never moved. He just stood there, and the ball, you know, trundled off for a by kick. So, I mean, would it make or break Haksabanovic? Probably not. You know, because he's a wee bit more experienced. Um, so I think that, you know, I would start with him if indeed the only other fit right-sided uh, forward was Vata, I would start with Haksabanovic. Because I just think there's a wee bit more safety. And it goes against, I guess, what Kevin Graham said in the comments. If a player, it doesn't matter about his age, if he's on the bench, it means he's good enough. He should be playing, throw him in. It's happened in the past. Peter Grant made his debut against Rangers at Ibrox. Um, you know, a, a lot of players... You've, you've got to step up, Alistair Johnson. Yep, and it didn't it didn't affect him. So uh, I, I guess the only other option would be to play Anthony Ralston on the right wing. I'm not sure, not sure about that. <laughs> that sure either. Um, interestingly, though, you saying you mentioned players like Peter Grant. I was um, interviewing Joe Miller at Malone's on Friday night, which was a great event. And thanks to so many of the Axon viewers who were there, it was great to meet you all. But one thing that Joe mentioned during um, the interview was about playing under Billy McNeil and how one of the, the things that he was really big on was if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and that young players really did break through at the time. Um, and he mentioned Vata specifically and said that he could see Ange taking the same sort of approach um, and the same thing happening for, for Rocco Vata, seeing him get game time, seeing him be trusted because he's training day in, day out with, with the squad. He's learning from them. He's part of that setup. Um, so why shouldn't he be part of it at, at the weekends? Um, and I, I totally appreciate that too. Yeah. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with Rocco Vata. I still wonder if a, a loan next season is the right move for him. 
But talking about our players out on loan, I am going to bring up the list um, of players we do have because Liam Scales at the weekend, obviously, um, scoring that wonderful goal made me have a think about the players we've got out and if any of them could come back. So I'm going to read you the list of players that we have out on loan and where they are at the moment. And then, Brian, I'll come to you and then, and then Paul John as well. Will any of these ever come back and do a job for us? So... We've got Barkas, who's on loan at Utrecht. Uruhidi, is that Ostend? Soro, is that Aruka in Portugal? Johnston, Vitoria. Oluwayemi, we know who's in Cork. Otto at Dunfermline. Liam Shaw at Morecambe. Johnny Kenny at Shamrock Rovers. Liam Scales, we've talked about at Aberdeen. Adam Montgomery is still at St Johnston. Idiguchi is at Avibspa, and I will not continue the pronunciation of that, but we know he's, he's back over in Japan. And Ayeti is in Strumgratz in Austria. A very long list of players mm. out on loan, Brian, and you know some relatively high earners in there as well. For me, I'm not really seeing many on that list who are going to come back and make a significant impact. The one I probably have the highest hopes for in there it's probably Mikey Johnson. He's been doing relatively well over there. He's getting a good write-up. Um, we had one of the, the comments coming in um, earlier on YouTube saying that Mikey Johnston played 90 minutes against Sporting um, and assisted in a goal, which was later ruled out offside. Um, but by all accounts, he is doing very well over there. Going back to that list, Brian, um, are there any for you who are going to come back and make an impact on Angie's side? I think the one with the most potential is Oluwayemi. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced the move to, was it Cork he went to? I don't know that was the wisest move. I don't see what you're going to gain from that. Um, other than that, you may find Mikey Johnson comes back if a badder goes, depending on Vata. So don't mention Vata again, but if if, we, if a badder goes... And he says, right, when he stick with Vata, he still need another backup. Because then he was attacked to Banovich, Maeda, Jota, Vata. So Mike Johnson might be the easy one to come in and, and fill the case of injuries. Um, but if it was up to me, no. I think other than the OYME, there's none of them there that fills me with any confidence. Um, you get big hologram hands, earning an unknown amount of money a week. Sorrow, I forgot it existed. And it actually, you know, sorry, was a funny one. I remember he was, I think him and Turnbull were the players I was most excited about seeing under Ange when Ange was first coming in because I thought he had the most potential to have a good season. So it shows how much I know. But um, no, and got Liam Shaw, Urigidi was never good enough. Um, and um, what his name? Jack Wienie's boy. Edigucci. Edigucci, yes. Uh, my thoughts on him have been pretty clear. I never thought he was good enough. To, to start, so no, I don't see anyone coming back other than the, the, the young keeper, probably. Paul John, I'll put that one over to you, mm. um, Kevin Graham. Humanist is always in, in the comment section saying that that list of names wouldn't make it out a ballot for a semi-final ticket. We all know they're hard to come by, um, maybe even harder than Celtic contracts. Paul John, the comments are relatively split on this in terms of who in that list could make an impact in Angie's side. And one that's coming up a lot is Urihidi. Um, But mostly, I think the comments are centering around um, the players that we've touched on as well. And maybe for Liam Scales, 
Mikey Johnston could probably come back and have something to prove. Um, Johnny Kenny even doing well over at Shamrock Rovers, but I'm not sure, Paul John, do any of them excite you? Does any of them float my boat? Um, I'm just going to say, before anybody thought I was being serious about Tony Alston playing right wing, it was firmly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, there was a wee kind of like uh, moment of silence after I said it there. Anyway, tumbleweed, that's what it was. Um, <laughs> running through them, Barkas, apparently Barkas and Ayeti combined, Brian, are making 30 grand a week. Um, that That's their wages, which is that just astonishing. That's astonishing. It's a hideous amount of money, and it's wasted. Um, and I think what I do is with Barkas, Ayeti and Soro, these are the guys that cost us the most money. A combined fee is something like 12 million quid. If we can get a million pound each for those players, get them off the books and move them on because it's not going to work at Celtic. Then you've got, I think, Urugidi and uh, Shaw, no harm to the players, but they weren't Angie's players. They, they weren't Angie's signings. They were legacy signings that came in from Sheffield Wednesday. And I've heard a lot of good things about Urugidi. I've only seen him in one competitive game for Celtic and he was like for me. He wasn't a footballer. He, he can't play football. I think he's maybe got the defensive qualities of winning headers and tackles, but Ange doesn't play that game. You know, he needs somebody to be comfortable on the ball uh, to spray passes around. I don't think he's got that. So those two players can move on. I, I think you've just got to look at the, the level that Liam Shaw's playing at, at the moment in Morecambe. Uh, he's not going to come back and break into that midfield that we've got. Um, you've got a few youngsters in there that I think mm-hmm. do have a chance. Adam Montgomery. Um, can we still call Mikey Johnston a youngster? Probably not. Uh, Olu Yemi. <laughs> I know, eh? 25. He's a youngster to me. And you uh, and Otu, these guys will come back because they've got longer contracts. They've got a wee bit more youth on their side. Mikey Johnston, who knows? Again, I think circumstances around the right-hand side, if uh, Abada goes, you might find that he comes back for the first month or two and then ends up going out on loan again because he's got a long contract. But I mean, there isn't. I mean, there isn't much to be honest. Idiguchi, it's not worked out. He'll move on. And then, by the way, Johnny Kenny, uh, closely monitoring his performances when he was at Queens Park, he won't make it at Celtic. So I reckon he'll go back to Ireland, and we wish him all the best. So I guess the other one, the big question marks Liam Scales. But again, recency bias because of that goal he just scored against Rangers. <laughs> um, what I would say, Natasha, is we've been banging on on Axon for long enough to say more loans in our league, please, because they can't harm Celtic, but they can harm Rangers. So a player like, you know, Johnson, and by the way, people say, oh, it's about wages. It's not, because if you want a player out on loan, the, the club that gets them can pay a pound of their wages mm-hmm. and you can pay the rent and you get game time in the Scottish League should they come back, they're playing at the level that they're going to come back to and they can damage your challengers. And I think Scales is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah I think it's a yeah, I think for a club like Celtic, the most important thing is about finding the right place for a player rather than making them pay a significant amount of the wages, which we are going to be signed up for anyway. You know, I'm thinking about, again, I'm thinking about Rocco Vata. I don't think his wages are going to be deal-breaking for, for many sides, but if they are, I'm pretty sure Celtic would rather cover the wages and have him playing out on loan at a sort of club that they want him to be playing at. And like Paul John said, I think it's relatively important that that is within our league. That's the league that they're going to be playing at if they do break into the Celtic starting eleven, And it gets them used to the, the way that the football is, is played here. And it has the added benefit if it harms their competitors. They won't be able to play against us, but they are 
quality players who will still be able to play against everyone else, which is only going to be a good thing. I think for me, when choosing a team like that, again, taking the example of of Vata, is making sure that he's playing at a team where his style of football is suited. I can see relatively little benefit to a player like him going out to, to another team in the league who spend 90% of their game defending. I'd like to see him get you know, to a team who's maybe more in the, the top six, who attack more, who use their wingers more. And that's that needs to be beneficial for his development, Brian, as well, because it's that balance, isn't it, between having him at Lennox Town, training under coaches like Ange and John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan, and also training with the players that he's got around him, learning from players like Maeda, learning from Jota, learning from Abada, even Haksabanovic. That's valuable in itself. But the game time, I think, is even, even more valuable. Yes, I, I kind of disagree with loaning players out to other teams in Scotland, except maybe keepers, mm-hmm. because keepers need to do more saves. But I think if you look at Motherwell, for example, say if Rocco Vata goes and to Motherwell and they finish top six and they're behind the ball all the time, or they're not playing great football, or they're not training at the same intensity, I just don't see the merit. And I think that, you know, Michael Johnson, he's been to Portugal, Portuguese top flight, the all accounts mm-hmm. playing well. That's an interesting loan move. Because then you might be in a league that's playing good football or training at a certain level. But, you know, would you say that, I don't know, say Boston Lamal, training and playing with Angie's team every day with these players is better or worse than training with, you know, guys at St. Johnson? For me, I, I don't see the, the merit. Loaning players is fine, but I just don't see the point of loaning the other Scottish teams because no one, no other team in Scotland plays the way we do, mm-hmm. or trains the way we do, or has as much possession as we do, or has to break up a press as much as we do. So I just don't see the merit personally. And I think I know people point to Ayer and Ryan Christie's examples are, you know, players that were loaned out came back better, but they were very specific circumstances. And that's two. I don't know how many players said they've loaned out to other teams in the past. Mm. I mean, it's half about ex-Celtic youth players. So mm. I, I can't see the merit in loaning players out. And it's the same way, and it's a, it's a criticism of Celtic at the moment, loaning players out to the Irish League as well. No disrespect to the Irish League, but which Johnny Kennedy, uh, Johnny Kenny, um, all the way Emmy, Johnny mm-hmm. Lairn, mm-hmm. playing at Cork City or Shamrock Rovers. Uh, for me, I, I just, I can't see the merit in it. Maybe I'm wrong, and I'll find out if I'm wrong, but... Just well, we will. We'll put it. We'll put it to the comments. Um, if you are watching along on YouTube Live, thank you. We have enjoyed bringing your comments up on screen. If you're watching on catch up, please do still comment and let us know what you think. Um, tell us, lone players. Um, do any of those players in that list? Do you think they'll they'll make it at Celtic Park? And coming on the debate between Paul, John, Brian, we've got different views. Should our players be loaned to other teams in Scotland? Let's hear what you've got to say on that as well. Is an interesting debate but before we finish up today I want to talk about the Celtic women's team um, because they have been doing us proud lately um, and what a difference 10 days makes you know 10 days ago um, Celtic were getting ready to go away to Glasgow City with the prospect of going 11 points behind and Glasgow City were favourites for that game they hadn't been beaten all season Celtic hadn't managed to to beat them um, and a, a defeat there would have been the league pretty much over um, and as we know we won that game 4-2 and since then the gap has narrowed even further. So now it's just two points between us and Glasgow City. Um, 
There's six games to go, including a home game against Glasgow City. And now the title race is, is very much in our hands. We know that all we need to do is win our remaining games and we've won the league um, for the first time as a, a professional club. That would be an absolutely incredible achievement. And we all do hope that the, the girls do that. And it's certainly not an impossible ask. We've got Rangers at home. We've got Glasgow City at home. But now we have, we've beaten both of those sides um, and we can go on and do it again at the weekend. We beat Glasgow City again in the cup semi-final to progress to the final against Rangers. So a double is very much on. Um, so, you know, in 10 days to have managed to achieve that and have the turnaround we have in terms of the narrative about where the women's team were is really exciting. Um, and I think it's deserved. You know, the football that they've been playing, I know that both of you have managed to catch bits of it here and there. The football they are playing is really good and it's something that Fran has banged on about for the last few months is that he fully believed that his side were playing the best football and that would come to fruition eventually. And over the last 10 days, we're certainly certain to see that. Um, and delighted for, for Fran at the way that the last 10 days has gone. Um, I'm sure we've seen some of the clips on social media. There was a fundraising event in the Kerrydale at the weekend for the women's team. And after the win, the girls and Fran came straight back to that to that fundraising event so they could celebrate with the fans. Um, Fran was even shown his moves on the dance floor. They were loving it. And that connection that they have with the fan base is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, Fran, again, we've talked about him before in the show, but it's really great to see a guy who's, you know, really gets the club, who's really bought into it, who really loves it, who loves his team and his players and is desperate to, to win this win this cup double. Um and I'd encourage everyone to get along and support the girls for this title running. Um, the support really can make the difference. It means the world to the players. Celtic are selling a four-match package for the home games that are left. That's good value. Um, this weekend, unfortunately, the game does clash with the men's game. The scheduling issues are one for another show in itself. Um, but the following game is Thursday, the 4th of May. We play Rangers at home, massive in the context of the title race. The game will be at Excelsior Stadium in Airdrie. Um, so I really do encourage people to get along to that. And Paul, we're, we're proud patrons of the women's game here at Axom. And how good is it to see the girls doing so well and having such an exciting end to the season? It is, because I remember during the season, looking back on the, the double win, and thinking, you know, how disappointing is it going to be if you follow that up with nothing? Because for a while, it looked as though it was going to be a disappointing season. And like you say, I think uh, the key here is Fran stuck to his principles with regards to the, the style of play, and it's come to fruition. I think there's a... I know that we beat we beat Glasgow City in one of the Cups last year, didn't we, in the Cup final? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this season, it was, a, it, was a, it was a huge a huge test. You've got to give credit to Glasgow City. This is a a team that don't have that huge club behind them, you know, and and they've done so, so well. And they were definitely the benchmark when Celtic went professional. But I think what you're seeing this season is that slowly but surely, Natasha, we're building up to the point where we're at the same standard, but at the same level. And if we can win the league, wow. I mean, what that means for next season, uh, budget in, Champions League. Um, And you just hope, you hope that they're able to market the game because we know how badly... The, the men's games marketed. We spoke about that. We opened up the show today talking about it. And you just hope they can market this game a lot better because you imagine having a right healthy crowd at Hamden. Um, oh. It would be brilliant. It would be amazing to see. Uh, and as you say, we, we're patrons. We we, su- we fully support it. Um, Fran Alonso, he's a charismatic guy um, and you buy into him. 
you buy into him, and by extension, uh, you just want them to do so so well. So, I'm I'm going to see another double this season, Natasha. I'm going to be very positive. I would absolutely love that. Here's hoping. And again, the support that we can give to the women's team is absolutely massive. So anyone else out there who wants to go along and do that, please do look at social media channels and get along and support the girls when you can. But that is our hour up. Um, so we need to wrap up there. A different lineup for, for a Tuesday. Who knows what we will look like next Tuesday. We might mix it up a bit again. Um, but for now, Brian, Paul, John, thank you very much for joining me on this Tuesday afternoon. Network.